This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. into episode number 112 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here on this Sunday, May 22nd of 2022. And we've got a lot of things to discuss. Actually, a fair amount of college hockey news again here, Nick, uh, related to the St. Cloud Huskies. Uh, some coaching vacancies have now been filled and uh, not a whole lot of surprises that are coming along with these, but we're going to discuss those in depth as well as, of course, the second round in the NHL still going on. The playoffs are well underway into the next round of action. And then our extra ice session, the Minnesota Wild. What the heck do they do with the cap space or lack thereof coming in here in this offseason and beyond uh, for the next couple of years with the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter con- contracts that they have to deal with as well. As always, we'll start with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup and centerized few news and notes. So we're going to discuss some more coaching changes around the National Hockey League, some player signings, as well as some uh, more finalists for awards in the National Hockey League. Centerized View News and Notes. Centerized View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. He's illustrated weekly roundup here, Noah. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, movement happening in the NHL, specifically with coaching and front office roles. Uh, so let's start with the coaching stuff, right? At least for now. Um, Barry Trotz, um, who we figured would be a hot commodity, interviewing for both the Winnipeg and the Philadelphia Flyers and coaching positions. And then on the front office side, how about this? Ray Whitney. Uh, interviewing for the vacant gym spot uh, for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, again, uh, Doug Wilson stepping down uh, midway through this season um, due to health concerns. Uh, we do wish him the very best as he continues to embark in that endeavor. Uh, assistant GM Joe Will had been acting as interim GM. Um, not sure if he is part of that same conversation, but still some holes to be filled out there out west uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, but the biggest shake up here, no, how about this Dallas um, after getting a probably a, a bit of a disappointing season. And then again, the postseason 
Rick Bonus uh, announced to he, along with assistant coaches John Stevens, Derek Laxtell, and Todd Nelson, would all be stepping down and not returning to the Dallas Stars. Uh, Bonus took over in 2019, um, appearing in the Stanley Cup final in that first season. A bit of a surprising run here for the Stars. That, again, during uh, the COVID season, um, first time the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, won the Cup since their first ever in 2004. Um, so now how about this? We have now five NHL head coaching vacancies. So we have the Stars, we have the Winnipeg Jets, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Detroit Red Wings, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, four other clubs, Montreal Canadiens, Chicago Blackhawks, Florida Panthers, and Edmonton Oilers all currently have an interim coach in place at the moment. Uh, again, Florida Edmonton deep in playoff runs, the uh, Canadiens, and the Blackhawks will have to see if they remove an interim <laughs> tag um, or if they decide to uh, look elsewhere outside the organization. But uh, this is pretty typical, Noah, here as we get uh, about this way through the offseason. Um, you start to see things open up. And unsurprisingly, some head coaches will likely find a new landing spot. The old um, wash cycle, uh, re- I should say recycle, continues. But uh, you kind of wonder where some of these squads, especially Philadelphia, what direction they take, especially after their shall we say, abhorrent season. I'm very curious to see what the other four teams that don't get Barry Trotz do. I think that's the better question is what are the rest of these teams going to do? Because I don't know if you know this, Nick, but uh, uh, you can only coach one team at a time, uh, as far oh. as I know, in the National Hockey League. Uh, I haven't now really that you mentioned it. that, I had no idea. Yeah, crazy. Uh, I haven't really seen it done any other way. Um, and it's been a while since we've had a player coach. So I, I'm going to say that Barry Trotz is probably going to only go to one team, and that leaves the rest of them uh, trying to figure out some other pieces. Of course, Peter DeBoer is another name that could potentially be out there as well. Um, you know, Rick Tockett is a name that's been floated around. You know, he's been an analyst for, uh, I think, it's, is it ESPN? ESPN or TNT? I can't remember who it is. ESPN, yeah. Um, and uh, seeing if he... Uh, Maybe wants to take another job. Does John Tortorella get another kick of the can? Um, you know, a lot of questions to see if a couple of these bodies uh, end up places or if they go with uh, people kind of in-house or promoting guys from the AHL, assistant coaching positions, that sort of thing. It's kind of an interesting mix. And it seems like a couple of years ago that we did have a bunch of kind of high-profile coaches that were on the market and it this offseason, that's really no longer the case. You have one, maybe two, if you want to make the case. And other than that, uh, there are some teams that are really going to have to do some soul searching here. Like you mentioned, the Flyers, the Red Wings, uh, you know, trying to find their way back from the cellar and the Vegas Golden Knights trying to figure out whatever the heck they've got going on over there because they've got a much better roster than uh, what they ended up having regardless of injuries uh, this season as well. So it should be interesting, but kind of an interesting situation too with Rick Bonus. Um, his contract was up at the end of this season, but uh, it's not often you see a coach in the National Hockey League say, you know what, the direction is different than what I had expected, and I think the best decision is for me to step down. It's not a decision you see very often. And uh, not only that, but the entire staff, too, following with them. I think yeah. that we we don't see that very often. And I'm very curious with Vegas because I think that whoever takes that Golden Knights job, is that's going to be a tough gig. Uh, again, uh, they've got a good roster, but they – also, speaking of salary cap implications, you know they're a team that also has some tough decisions to make with their roster, uh, considering uh, the cap and where they're at both now and in the future. Uh, but speaking of 
folks who maybe are sticking around. How about this? So Nashville re-signing head coach John Hines to a two-year extension. Um, qualified for the playoffs the last three seasons he's been at the helm. Uh, he's gone 92-64-10. and 10. Um, The only caveat is they share something with the Wild. They can't get out of the first round. So, um, But with that, um, decided that at least they're happy with the level of competition and maybe trust that he can eventually get over the hump. Um, some questions in Nashville, too, with maybe some of their personnel out there um, in the uh, the Music City as well. Um, how about this? Los Angeles Kings, this should be a, no surprise to anybody, um, renewing uh, GM Rob Blake's contract for another three seasons. Um this was the big one here, Noah. And this one I kind of expected, but wasn't going to be surprised either way. Uh, but Brendan Shanahan um, out there in Toronto uh, confirming that both GM Kyle Dupas as well as head coach Sheldon Keefe will be back next season. But I think the big question is here, Noah, is we thought maybe this season the leash was going to get tighter. Mm. You know, at what point do you blow it up? Um, you know, and, and it's it's tough because they they played arguably their best regular season in in franchise history. They played a really good uh, playoff series again against Tampa Bay, but uh, again, Tampa just knows how to win um, in the playoffs. They're up two nothing against Florida. Game three tonight at the time of recording. Um, is this that last year at the helm for maybe some players in the roster or for the GM or maybe both? I mean, what do you do in Toronto? Um, this is an interesting, interesting team to watch. Yeah. Like you mentioned, uh, a very intriguing thing going into the following season. I think if Tampa gets out of the second round, which we'll touch on a little bit, they have a pretty good chance to do at the current moment. Um, I think it looks a little bit better on the Leafs. And like you mentioned, this is probably the best playoff series slash exit they've had uh, since 2004, trying to get past that first round. So I definitely think you have another kick at the can with some of the big guns that are on there. The question is, can they find their goaltending that they're looking for in terms of re-signing guys or getting players that they want? And how do they fill out that roster? That's always been the question for the Maple Leafs year in and year out with the big contracts they have up front. So I definitely think you take one more kick at the can. Um, and this is not similar to other years where it was we need to take a kick at the can because we need to truly see what this team is made of i think mm -hmm. we saw what this team was finally made of for the most part this past uh postseason mm -hmm. unfortunately they just ran into maybe one of two or three teams that maybe had a shot to even handle the maple leafs and mm -hmm. you know what it took a game seven and a one goal margin to get them to that point so um to say that the maple leafs you know should be uh, freaking out or feel like they're in dire waters um the contract situation for some of the you know filling out the depth and the goaltending is a question mark but i think a lot of things were answered this past postseason that this team does have what it takes they just ran into a good hockey team and you know what we have to realize that sometimes that just happens they weren't they weren't the wild this year where they just kind of you know uh, slowly whittled away in games five and six and were non-existent Right. And, uh, you know, not just the Tampa Bay Lightning, but back to back Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, too. So, again, recent success and how to actually. Is that good? Uh, I've heard it's OK. So, yeah. you know, um, lastly, though, in some player signings here, Columbus Nutminer Jonas Corpicello getting a one year, one point three million dollar extension. And this was one that a lot of Pittsburgh Penguins fans were watching a uh, six year extension, five million dollars on the uh, annual value for that. Um, Fifty eight uh, points, a career high this past season. Now, from some of the Pittsburgh fans that I've talked to, they love the AAV. Maybe not necessarily the term. Yeah. I was going to ask it. It's, it's a weird contract. Like it doesn't feel like an overpay, but it feels like a, 
like a like a hmm does that make sense yeah because you know? again I, I again i think the value of his contract per year is 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 worth it for sure um because he's a con and the other thing about ryan rust is he's been a consistent playoff performer too uh for the pittsburgh penguins at, you know, and interestingly enough uh there's been questions too about chris letang uh evgeny malkin uh Sidney crosby i mean where does the core of the pittsburgh penguins sit after yet another first round exit for them out east so um, I think there's bigger questions in Pittsburgh than, say, Brian Rust, and maybe this is maybe one indication of some of the things that their ownership slash uh, management is looking at in terms of trying to bridge a gap that they feel uh, is coming soon. So maybe this is just step one with that. Hard to know for sure, but still plenty of questions out there in the Steel City that have to be answered, and uh, one of them here, Brian Rust, uh, has been. Yeah, I think uh, just randomly pulling up their cap friendly. I do know that when I read from the article, Brian Rust, I think he's 28, no, 30, excuse me. He's 30 years old. So that, that, that term, who boy, would bring him to his age 36 season. So I think a lot of people are a little gun shy on that one. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe the Penguins, I think it's like $24 million in cap space they have to re sign some of these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, I think Ricard Raquel. Uh, gets a new contract. He's, he, he's a UFA. Casper Kapanen has looked good. He's an RFA. Um, mm -hmm. Evgeny Malkin, like you mentioned, um, uh, he's definitely not going to make nine and a half million dollars anymore. No. Um, that's definitely not going to be what it is. Um, Brian Boyle is a UFA. He didn't play all that much. Evan Rodriguez uh, somehow kind of earned a little bit of contract ish uh, in the playoffs, but he was only at a million dollars. So that he's not going to be uh, too expensive, I think. But like you mentioned, Chris Letang and then Nathan uh, Boyu is the only uh, only two UFAs in the back end. And then goaltending-wise, they do have Louis Domingue and Casey DeSmith that both need contracts as well. But uh, honestly, the Penguins are... Uh, how many forwards? They got 14 forwards and eight defensemen on their roster. They're so um, all right. They're not in a bad spot, actually, which is, you know... This is almost, I think, what the Minnesota Wild might look like in a couple of years. Granted, they're not going to be as old as this team is uh, with some of these key guys. But with that being said, they're going to be in that spot where we're going to get through the Zach Parisi, Ryan Suter era. We're going to look and say, oh, like we do have cap space. We can like afford this. And that's where I think, provided he's still here, which I, I don't anticipate him not being here, but you know how things go. Um, that That's that's where um, we're really going to see Bill Guerin go to work. And have we already seen that? And does it take a lot to maneuver around the cap? I definitely think so. But I think there's also something to be said for someone who knows what to do with what's going to seem like almost too much cap space when Minnesota gets to that position. So it's going to be an interesting conversation and dance because you can very easily overpay for one or two people when you have that kind of quote unquote power. And then you put your team right back in the same position, a la 2012 Minnesota wild. So um, yeah, right. interesting, but uh, you know, is it, I guess, is there anybody that I mentioned from that list before we move on to our topic for the penguins that you don't see, returning that maybe i do or most of those guys i feel like most of those guys are going to be coming back for the penguins i would think so i would think so um you know again the 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 bigger questions aren't the depth pieces uh evan rodriguez was that you know kind of a low risk low reward type signing from buffalo i think he actually blossomed under mike sullivan as a depth player um i could see him absolutely returning um but again down the middle with mulkin and uh as a brian boyle again who played third line center maybe fourth line center they got some they got some questions at center 
And with Evgeny Malkin, who uh, has been, uh, say, no stranger to the injury bug, you know, you kind of wonder um, if they do re-sign him. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that as I don't think that they will, but I do question, you know, whether they take a piece like Evgeny Malkin and decide this is where we start to maybe do a, a bit of a core change. Um, I think there's plenty of NHL teams that would take Evgeny Malkin on a two or three year contract, maybe, you know, for a, a bit of a playoff push. Um, but again, the question is, can he stay healthy? So if you can get him at a decent value, I think he might be a tradable asset if you're looking to maybe make a change there. Um, so that one, I think, is the biggest question mark. So we'll see. We will definitely see, as you mentioned. Uh, in our second to last topic, uh, three more NHL awards have finalists here. So let's get into them. Uh, two of them involve players, and the first one involves coaching. Uh, Calgary's mm-hmm. Daryl Sutter, Florida's Andrew Brunette, who you know uh, personally, and yes. uh, New York Rangers' uh, Gerard Gallant were voted as the Jack Adams finalists. For those who don't know, uh, the Jack Adams Award is an annual award uh, actually presented by the NHL Broadcasters Association, which makes it a little bit unique. Um, How about and that, eh? And, <laughs> Yeah, who would have thunk? Uh, I believe since 1974, I think. Sounds right. Uh, uh, The winner is determined by a poll among the association's members at the end of the regular season. Um, Given to the NHL coach, a judge should have contributed the most to his team's success. So, uh, Nick, just like we did last week, uh, is there anybody here that really stands out for you? Honestly, and this may be just me, but how about Daryl Sutter? Yeah, same. Um, and and honestly, with with Daryl Sutter, and it's you know, and as you mentioned, I know Andrew Burnett very well, but Andrew Burnett, he didn't really have to come in and change anything. Um, you know, despite some of the uh, well, share we say it, just some of the the ripple effect from the Chicago Blackhawks situation and Joel Quenville. Uh, I think if you know Brunette's on this list because he didn't you know, reinvent the wheel. He kept doing the same things and he kept a team that was the hottest team coming out of the gate and to a historic season for them. Now, uh, unfortunately for them, you know, I hope that they can rebound from a two nothing deficit. Um, yeah. Cause I do think that Florida um, it'd be good for the game. If they can go on a deep run and make, at least make the East finals. Um, that'd be great. Gerard Gallant, as we know, um, for whatever reason, wherever he goes, he seems to find instant success. The big question with Golan has been how long does that success stay put? But with Daryl Sutter, Calgary was sort of a mess last season. Um, uh, there was questions on Johnny Gaudreau, on Sean Monahan, just to name a couple with some of those core pieces. They brought him in to shore up things defensively and look at that wagon. My goodness. Um, so to me, Daryl Sutter deserves a lot on this list. Uh, he's rightfully on this list. And to me, if I'm in this association, that's my pick. Uh, Daryl Sutter. I agree 100%. And he's got the best press conferences. I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the thing that's interesting about the Calgary flames, they expected to rebound this year, but I believe Daryl Sutter uh, in that staff, they created a team that was kind of built for the playoffs and yes. accidentally created a good regular season team. I don't think anybody like Johnny Goudreau had the quietest 115 point season I've ever heard. No of. question. Like, no it's, question. It's very weird. Like he was tied for second in the NHL and scoring um, with Jonathan Huberto and then just behind Connor McDavid. And like, I don't think I heard his name more than like twice all year. Like it was, it was, it was very weird to me. Um, but and the, Calgary, times we, and the times we did hear him, it's like, well, where's he going to sign next year? It yeah. had nothing to do with his current year success. 
and it's interesting, we'll get into this obviously in the main portion of the show, but the Calgary-Edmonton series definitely has a bit of a more wide-open feel than the one against the Dallas Stars, let's just put it that way. And, uh, you, th- and you thought Markstrom was the best? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't at me. Um, we're we're going to stay up in Canada here. Uh, Lady Bing finalist given to the player who best combines sportsmanship with high-level playing ability. These finalists are chosen by a committee of NHL executives led by Commissioner Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. That's Winnipeg's Kyle Connor, Carolina's Jakob Slavin, and Minnesota's Jared Spurgeon are the finalists uh, at the behest of every St. Louis Blues fan and every cross-checking aficionado that has ever been seen. Um, (laughs) It is really a a sportsmanship-like penalty. I don't think one cross-check defines a player, but Jared Spurgeon... Um, I believe this is a regular season award, so it actually doesn't take that into account. But nonetheless, oh boy. I would say, uh, I, I mean, I like Slavin too, but I would say that Spurgeon is probably the pick here if you take that whatever the hell that was in game one out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, and and for, for Spurgeon, I mean, he he's been up there in terms of you know he's been in this position before if i if i if i'm not mistaken uh, uh jacob slavin again kyle connor i mean you talk about guys who um who really bring it night and night out i mean holy cow kyle connor you talk about quiet seasons for a winnipeg jets team that just seemed couldn't seem to find an identity all season there was one person that had one that was kyle connor he could put the puck in the back of the net he almost single-handedly with mark shifley uh try to will winnipeg to a playoff position just couldn't get any help uh, Jacob Slavin again in the back end for Carolina, um, just incredibly talented both offensively and defensively. Uh, former Colorado College Tiger, also for those NCHC fans. So a little bit of proud moments there. Um, and then again, Jared Spurgeon. Um, Spurgeon to me is my pick, not because I'm a homer, but because I'm a homer. Uh, <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, he. I, I think you know whenever you hear him speak, uh, whenever you know. You, you hear people really talk about him. He exemplifies this award. Uh, and yes, yeah. in the playoffs, frustrations happen. Uh, you know, uh, just ask Braden Shen. Um, and, you know, you, you get that. Um, but as you mentioned, this isn't a, a playoffs award. Um, this is a regular season award. I think Jared Spurgeon absolutely deserves the uh, some accolades here, especially with the way he conducts himself on and off the ice. Yeah, you mentioned college hockey for Slavin as well, too. Kyle Connor, a former Michigan Wolverine a couple mm-hmm. of years ago as well. So uh, Jared Spurgeon is actually the only one who is not a former Division One college hockey player in this list. And I think he gets this award like you had just mentioned. Last one that we're going to talk about, the King Clancy Memorial Trophy Award given to someone with um, great leadership qualities on and off the ice who has also made a significant humanitarian contribution to their community. Um, these finalists are chosen uh just like the last one led by commissioner gary bettman and deputy commissioner bill daly uh this is anaheim's ryan getzloff who just recently retired edmonton's darnell nurse and new jersey devils pk suban who seems to be up for this award annually um for the rightfully so yeah for the king clancy um no idea on this one to be honest with you i didn't read too in depth in this one for me it's pk suban um you know there's when PK Subban left Montreal to uh, to Nashville and now in, in New Jersey, he's maintained that you know wing in the Children's Hospital in Montreal. There's so much that he does outside of the hockey rink that benefits uh, local communities, uh, even ones that he's not even a well. You could say not ones that he is maybe necessarily connected to from a professional level anymore. Um, so to me, PK Subban for you know 
say what you want about him on the ice or whatever the case may be. This this guy is incredibly active in communities and giving a lot of financial and other support uh, to folks who most need it. So to me, P.K. Subban is absolutely deserving of this award. Is a reason why he's on this list almost every single year um, and very deservedly so. So to me, P.K. Subban earns this one 100%. Not to take anything away from Ryan Getzlaff or General Nurse. They're also very involved in their communities as well. Uh, but just P.K. Subban, he just never seems to waver. It's year, year after year for this guy that continues to make contributions to the folks around him. Uh, so to me, again, Subban is the one who should earn this award. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Dar Dar Darnell Nurse, uh, an interesting story for him as well. Check that one out. And I think the only, um, I think it's possible that maybe Ryan Getzloff gets it just because it's his last year in the league. Um, potentially, I know that I know that's not like a huge factor, but I think if you have two guys that are neck and neck, I mean, PK Subban's going to be in the league for a while. That's the only, that's I'm just throwing that out there. I do, I don't have any insider <laughs> knowledge on that beyond that. I just know that sometimes when guys are up for an award for the last time, sometimes they do get that uh, little bit of a boost when it comes to some things. Maybe not an award so much as this, uh, but something to keep in mind. As Ryan Getzloff, we wish him the best in retirement. Uh, last topics here: injury news. We're going to get to some of these actually during the main portion of the show but we'll touch on them very briefly here just so people know. Uh, first, starting with teams that are already well into their offseason, Mark Stone undergoing back surgery a couple weeks ago for Vegas. He should start next season. Reports say he had a very tumultuous year this year in terms of injuries. I would know I had him on my fantasy squad, was not happy about that. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, Victor Arvidsson also undergoing surgery this week to repair a herniated disc. That surgery will come this upcoming Tuesday, and he will miss three to five months. If he misses three, he'll be ready for the start of the season. If he misses five, he's going to miss about the first month and a half of the season as they head into next year for a Los Angeles team that is in a very interesting predicament after their play. Uh, 49 points in 66 games, and it was good for third on the team at both goals and assists, so pretty sneaky good season for Arvidsson only averaging about 15 minutes of ice time as well too during that stretch so actually pretty impressive season uh, for the former National Predator Lastly, St. Louis will touch on this in the main portion of the show. Netminder Jordan Bennington has a lower body injury that will keep him out for at least a couple of weeks and Colorado Sam Girard is out for the playoffs after breaking his sternum. Episode number 112 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, welcome into the show. Uh, a lot of things to get to here. Um, kind of run to the mill as far as the playoffs are concerned, but I think we might as well start with some college hockey news. One tidbit, um, unless you have anything else to add, I suppose personally we should add, actually before we get started here, Nick, uh, we should add that I think next week's show is going to come out on Tuesday morning because you're going to be doing a little bit of traveling here a uh, lot this this upcoming uh, week. So uh, mm -hmm. care to fill the listeners in on anything? Uh, a little bit of, you know, personal and then there's uh, a lot of developments in the professional. Um, so uh, even uh, after next week, uh, there'll be even more traveling to come. Um, as some of these opportunities that I've been pursuing are starting to, you know, continue the process of, of going through potentially as a, a, a uh, for a position to, to hire me. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's getting down to, uh, uh, maybe some, uh, some of the nitty gritty as some would say, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's, uh, kind of nerve wracking at the same time, but yeah, this is the part, uh, where, um, you know, they're asking you to come down or go wherever and, um, you know, visit um, them in person and to kind of, you know, maybe do uh, some trial runs through as well. So uh, it's, say, as, as the young kids say, it's it's getting 
serious. Yeah, yeah. It is it is getting okay. serious. I'm going to be doing some traveling as well. I'm going to be going from the gas station to the grocery store to the fast food place. A lot of decisions up in the air in that one, obviously. Stay away from the nachos at the gas station. Yeah, you know, I I I'm a big uh, I'm a big gas station donut guy. I don't know why. Like the six pack of donuts, um, I'm big on those. So if I go to there, it's probably that and chocolate milk is probably what I'm going with. Unless there's breakfast sandwiches in the morning, um, then I'll maybe get a coffee and an orange juice as well too. But um, other than that, you know, not a whole lot of big decisions for me uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of my travel as well. But hey, speaking of jobs, we forgot a topic, Nick, um, and I didn't realize this because we kind of just all saw it and read it and it was a thing. Uh, St. <laughs> Cloud's own uh, athletic director, Heather Weems, actually got the NCHC gig as the new commissioner of the league after four seasons at St. Cloud State. Uh, mm-hmm. Trivia question for you, Nick. Uh, what sure. ep- what episode did Heather Weems join this show? <laughs> oh, boy. Good, good luck. 49. <laughs> 16. <laughs> that too. She was, uh, I think she was the third ever guest, uh, no, maybe the fourth or fifth ever guest we actually had on the show. The third ever guest that we had in the virtual edition uh, following Brett Larson there. Yeah, that was like, I think it was like, it was right in the middle of when COVID was kind of at its height. I think it was like July or August of 2020. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah like it was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, she's been there. She was there during our time there as well, too, obviously. Uh, and now she gets the NCHC Commissioner gig replacing Josh Fenton, who is headed to some basketball uh, endeavors. I uh, Did this move surprise you, not surprise you? And more importantly, what do fans of the NCHC who don't really know St. Cloud State or know Heather, what are they getting? Uh, it doesn't surprise me, actually. Um, she's an incredibly committed person uh, to the student athlete experience. Um, so that's both from an academic standpoint, as well as a competitive standpoint. Um, she, as we talked with her back in episode 16, um, yeah, <laughs> back um, seven an years athlete, ago. yeah, an athlete herself, uh, has got four kids they are all athletes. So, I mean, she, you know, as far as being a, a parent of athletes and, you know, being one herself, you know, formally, um, she gets it. Um, she's been on, uh, the advisory board for the NCHC as well. Um, uh, the last two seasons, if I recall, and I, I could be, I could, it could even could be more than that, but I know she's been on sort of the board of governors, uh, for the NCHC here. Um, so with that experience, it, it doesn't surprise me that she would throw her hat in the ring into this role and, um, what to expect, right? Uh, I think the big thing is uh, that she, you're going to uh, see a person that's going to be committed to excellence, uh, committed to keeping the NCHC, at least from a competition level, the same, if not better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and the, I think the, the biggest question um, that moves forward is, you know, where does she see as a next step for the conference? Right. We keep hearing, you know, some of the trade winds blow about conference realignment or maybe expansion. Um, also would like to see her thoughts and like, you know, some of the, some of the big fan takes such as the NCHC.TV app. Um, I know the NCHC has just signed an extension with Sidearm um, and they are going to essentially integrate from what I understand the website NCHC.TV. So a little bit more of a streamlined platform um, kind of hope that it improves a little bit of the performance of it as well. It's supposed to, um, but I know all those things are in shape. So um, it's going to be great. Um, she's a wonderful human being. Um, she connects well with everybody, but again, she, um, 
this is a job and she takes it incredibly seriously. I think she did a fantastic job at St. Cloud State with a division two slash division one uh, university here in, in Minnesota. And I think she, she's going to do a really good job here uh, at the NCHC home because she's just been so exposed to it. She was very uh, paramount in terms of, uh, you know, being part of executing the pod. Um, so she gets it. She gets college hockey. She gets the excitement. She's going to have a really, really fun time with this role. So I think fans should be excited about it. Yeah, you said it well. I think hockey and maybe wrestling were kind of her two bread and butter sports. Not that she mm-hmm. played favorites by any means, but I think, you know, obviously the hockey was a division one sport. And I think she definitely gravitated toward that a little bit um, mm-hmm. and, and did a very good job in that role. Like you had mentioned, uh, kind of interesting. There was a little bit about the NCHC. They spent a lot of money to try to find a candidate and actually ended up staying in conference. So kind of a hilarious little thing there. And also probably, oddly, probably more of an HR thing. Yeah. And also, oddly enough, I mean, you have a committee that's technically picking their new boss. So kind of an interesting hiring process normally comes from the top down. Well, now it comes from the middle top to the very top, however you want to say it. It's the same committee that Heather Williams was part of. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a I think it's at least four or five of this of the schools. Um, someone from them is involved in this. And so they're kind of like. You know, I wouldn't I don't know if they're like exactly decision makers, but they they help make recommendations and, you know, they help be liaisons for the schools between them and the commissioner. And, you know, I think that's going to make Heather Weems, um, you know, her being in that position, I think it's going to make it really easy too, because not only she's familiar with the conference, but she's been in that role as sort of, you know, that advisor between um, her school as well as the NCHC conference at that time, Josh Fatton. So I think that transition for a lot of the schools involved will be pretty seamless. Uh, because they know her and she knows the roles from both um, being in the position she was as far as being a part of that committee and now being an, at charge at the top. Seamless transitions are no stranger to our next guy. Women's hockey uh, head coaching position have has been filled. Uh, Brian Idelski uh, gets the women's hockey head coach gig. Um, no surprise here on this one. We talked two episodes ago about all three candidates. If you want to go back and check that out in the extra ice session, it's well worth your time uh, to give you kind of a rundown here for those who did miss spending the last three seasons, actually um, with the KRS Vaca Rays in Russia's women's hockey league. Uh, they were 77 and 17, not too shabby. Uh, did, right. co- did coach China's women's Olympic team for the 2022 Beijing Olympics, uh, two victories in the top rated penalty kill unit in that pool. Um, spent a season as director of hockey activities at Culver Academy. For those who don't know Culver, it's a very esteemed uh, development program for young hockey players. And then the big one head coach for the University of North Dakota got a very poor hockey team when he first integrated that team and ended up compiling five 20 win seasons, leading them to an NCAA tournament appearance um, for back to back seasons over his 11 uh, year tenure before the Fighting Hawks were no longer a team. And then also uh, leading his alma mater, Wisconsin Stevens Point, uh, for a couple of years, five years actually, 108, 21, and 11 for an 8 11 winning percentage. So not too shabby um, for Brian Idelski. Also, other news um, for women's hockey as well, too, I should mention. Emma Paluzny, uh, who just finished her career as a Husky, did earn COSIDA academic all district honors. Um, she, I, uh, she is actually the first ever first team all conference recipient and the program's first player of that of that year at any position. The first team all district honorees advanced to the All America ballot. Um, and they will be announced in June. So we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, was pursuing her MBA and had a 3.89. So congratulations to Emma in that ride as well, too. But minus the academic side. The coaching side has been filled with Brian Idalski for the women's hockey team. Emma Pluzny is no longer the goaltender of the future. That is now Sonia Hola. 
What does Brian Idowski look forward to? What does he bring to the table? And uh, do you think uh, we're going to see a turnaround for this Husky squad? At some point, yes. Um, this was the guy that I sort of circled. I know you were looking, I think you were looking at Eric Strand there from uh, River Falls. Uh, but to me, Adelski just, and again, I, I think what sets him apart is the Culver Academy, as you mentioned. It's about skill development and IQ development. That's something that I think we saw highlighted a lot this season for, for the Huskies was that their compete level was much better. Um, their skill on display was improved but there were certain situations you kind of felt like there was there was some maybe decision making or just maybe some just a game awareness i don't know how else you want to describe it noah where there yeah. seemed to be a lack of that and uh for a, a, a guy who has a history of again we talked about it last week and one of the points i made was you're you've got a very young you know, program with Beijing and you're, you're trying to teach a game up almost at the root level. Um, again, Culver Academy world renowned for uh, development of hockey players. Uh, so when you have that development accolade and you have shown that not only can you do that, but have success also reflected in your, in your records. Again, uh, you mentioned those before they kind of speak for themselves. So I think this was the right pick. Um, and again, with any new coaching staff, uh, you know, give him a, you know, a little bit of time, um, but I think you're going to see an impact at least in year one. I think the big question is too, um, and this is something that we we haven't touched on yet, is now what happens to the assistant coaches Molly Engstrom and Janelle Surrogate if they stick around. Um, I hope that they do because I think they have um, a lot of value yeah. as coaches. Um, but again, with new head coaches coming into the fold, you know, do they want? Does he want to bring in his own staff? Um, with Molly being a head coaching candidate and not receiving that, does she have? Um, head coaching aspirations elsewhere. So uh, there's a bit more to that story than just this, but I think uh, Brian was the right pick for the job for the women's program, 100%. Yeah, I can't really speak for Molly, but I think Janelle does stay put. I do remember having a conversation with her a couple of years ago that she talked about, you know, it was the perfect position and she wanted to bring a team that was kind of essentially a basement dweller in the WCHA and make them into a powerhouse again and really try to recreate that brand. Brian Idelski gets that process from his time at the University of North Dakota. He knows the conference kind of inside and out when it comes to this, albeit it's been a little bit, it's been a while. Um, but at the same time, uh, knows exactly what he's getting into and knows the development level all the way from, like you mentioned, the youth development level all the way to the international stage. So um, a fantastic pick for this Huskies program uh, and curious to see how he's able to uh, to carry this team. I think it was kind of a, a perfect timing and a perfect storm for Brian to end up at a university like St. Cloud. So we'll have to see how he can carry his success on forward on the men's side. Uh, the assistant coach uh, fanfare kind of came and went without any too much of a kerfuffle. RJ Enga <laughs> was simply promoted uh, to the assistant coaching position um, was director of operations and video coordinator after coming from Colorado, Colorado college where he was since 2014 and then spent three seasons before that as an assistant coach and director of player development with the Chicago steel in the USHL um, where he helped improve uh, the team from nine wins uh, in a season to 29. So not too shabby uh, in the middle era for uh, the USHL time for RJ Enga. And before that also spent two seasons with Topeka in the null from 2009 to 2011. So um not a whole lot of fanfare in this one, Nick. RJ, obviously, some pretty close ties with some of those Colorado College guys as well, too. So that might be um, an added boost for this team as well. So men's hockey, now he's a new director of uh, operations uh, and video coaching. Uh, and they also need a public address announcer as well, too. So anyone who wants to throw their hat in the ring for that, too. But RJ Enga, um, 
I don't know too much about him personally. I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about him. Um, I haven't met him personally. Nick, you probably have some more experience with this, but uh, yeah. Ooh, yes. I, yeah. Know him, I know RJ. Uh, you Pretty know, intelligent guy. Yeah. Very intelligent. Uh, I was actually, and I think I mentioned the story before, but uh, in the Mankato series earlier this year, I was my first time I got to meet him. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how the Mankato press booth sort of coaching booth is set up. It's kind of right in the middle of the stands. It's, it's kind of bizarre. Um, but he was actually just sitting to my right. And uh, just some of the things that, you know, whether you're a broadcaster and at that time I was just um, on the road, I was just kind of, you know, watching the game and taking notes and watching the Huskies play uh, Mankato again, two of the, the top teams in, in the entire country early going at it. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny, Noah, how, when you're a player and then you, you become sort of a, a watch, you know, right. You kind of sit on the sidelines. You're still saying those small things you would say in the bench, like, Oh, good stick. Um, Oh, good play there. Oh, nice pass. Uh, good patience. And yeah. we ended up having a good conversation. And, and, you know, some of the things that he was, uh, you know, kind of relaying to the coaching staff, especially early on in that first, uh, first game where St. Cloud was getting hemmed in their zone. And he kept talking about how, Hey, they're sealing the walls, make sure we, you know, get that middle lane opened up. Um, and you know, he was on the phone essentially with Nick Oliver. So another coach who's got a bright future, um, who just left the organization. So, um, uh, very intelligent, sees the game very well. Again, when you're a video operator, you know, it's not like, I think people have this misconception that all you're doing is teaching video. No, you are recording the video and then live in game. You're trying to be, you know, that press box eye where you can see things that the, the coaching staff cannot on the bench. And so you're trying to give them that bird's eye view as, you know, uh, and be able to relay and make in-game adjustments. It's a very important position. Um, and you got to figure too with RJ coming over from Colorado college that, you know, maybe there was a sense that Nick Oliver was, you know, eking for head coach and having the ability to sort of move up with the Huskies and, this makes sense for me and RJ, I think is going to do really good behind the bench and we'll not have to find a replacement there up there in the press box for uh, the video control, as well as director of operations. Yeah. You see it in the national hockey league as well with the iPads now too, video coaching has become more important than ever, especially quick access to that as well too. But like you mentioned, um, you know, just, I don't want to say shooting the shit, but like, you know, hockey's hockey, you know, it doesn't yeah. change. I think that you, you can take the hockey player out of the rink, but you can't take the, the rink in the game out of the hockey player, essentially, you know, when you go and watch a game, it's kind of forever ingrained in you. Um, and I think that that's a prime example is just sitting in the press box and being able to see those little things. And um, I think all of us do it. I mean, when I watch the wild still, I still talk to my TV and sometimes I, you know, <laughs> you, you catch yourself doing that where you're like, you know, time or, you know, you know, feet and that sort of thing. And it's just like, I, like I'm, hundreds of miles away from this game and <laughs> I'm acting like I'm on the ice right next to Kale and Addison who's never on the ice because he's in the press box but nonetheless um oh boy we'll touch on that in the extra ice session um because the Minnesota Wild are not in the second round um you uh, summarized uh, RJ Anger very well I did want to say that but uh he's not coaching the National Hockey League John Cooper is and he's taking on uh Andrew Burnett's Florida Panthers and I would darn near say at the time of recording he's doing all right um, yeah. most of these game threes are coming today um, in just a couple of hours. So let's get started in the Eastern Conference. Tampa Bay 2, Florida 0, an absolute dagger from who else but Ross Colton with yeah. uh, just a couple seconds remaining to give a 2 nothing lead over the Panthers in game number 2. Um, yeah, game 3 is today at 12.30 Central Time. Um, I don't know that I'm surprised that Tampa Bay is up two to nothing. I would be shocked to see them win it in five games or less. I think that Florida is going to have a bit of a pushback here. Now they're on the road. 
and they drop they drop both their home games, which is not great. I think game two is kind of a wash, and it's just that's just a painful way to end a hockey game. Game one, they did not show up. Um, I think if they can right the ship and at least just get a win, I think the series becomes interesting. You can't go down three nothing to the Lightning, though. He can't. Uh, I don't know if we're giving enough credit to that goal in game number two. I don't. Um, and here's why I say that it's not that you end it two one. If it's two one at the end of two and nobody scores in the third, it's kind of like, okay, we, we just couldn't find a way, but having a chance to push to overtime again, those goals that come at such a late, they, they just, for whatever reason, they sting more. And you kind of wonder to your point, you know, does, does Florida, you know, can they sort of, uh, harness of warp that, that yeah. harness that and make it a motivating factor again tampa um this is exactly where they want to be going back home uh their their crowd's going to be electric no pun intended um <laughs> yeah uh but that was, you know, bad. That was yeah exactly um but that was, the, that, that was like noah grant level bad. That was yeah like, <laughs> I, I figured i'd go out on i go down to your level for a second uh but how bad, it, how bad did it hurt it's 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 still uh Searing through you, yeah, yeah, shocking, anyways. So, <laughs> oh, god, <laughs> enough of those bad puns. So, but no, that uh, Tampa, I mean, oh goodness, you gotta think that they have a huge advantage here. Um, now again, with last change being in front of their home crowd, you kind of wonder how Florida's gonna counter. Um, it sounds like they were making some tweaks to their forward lineup groups, uh, in practice yesterday. Uh, again, trying to find some kind of a spark, and again, it's a one goal hockey game, but. You know, again, your backs are now against the proverbial wall in the in the second round. Again, against a back-to-back cup winner who uh, doesn't really let their uh, prey get away from them very often. You know, they're a team that does you know kind of put the dagger in. So this is a huge game three. If if Tampa goes up three nothing, I, I think this is a sweep. I hate to say it, but um, you know, for this is this is the money shot. This is this is their game they have to have. So uh, important game here for the Panthers. Well, the Panthers just leave Carter Verhage out there for the entire game. They'll be fine. Um, yeah, I, I, I would be shocked to see the Panthers not get at least one win. I think this goes to at least six games. I think the Panthers are going to have more pushback. We're going to definitely find out today um, and could be very wrong very quickly. We'll have to see. Uh, the The later midday game that we have today is also in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Carolina 2, New York Rangers 0. Game 3 is today at 2.30 Central Time. Uh, Carolina just kind of sneakily took both of these hockey games a pretty gutsy winning game number two game number one the the ot winner from who else but former minnesota wild player ian cole with only his second career playoff game and only his 31st career nhl goal in like 500 games or something like that so of course he's gonna vary um the rangers a very uh intimate success story and comeback story in round number one um I, this is this is a series out of the two of them in the Eastern Conference. I mean, this could easily be one one. This is easily be two nothing the other direction. It's just kind mm-hmm. of some poor luck for the Rangers and some pretty good shutdown defensive play for the Canes. Yeah, one of the better defensive cores in all the NHL that doesn't get talked about enough uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and like you just mentioned, uh, now this game shifts to New York and Madison Square Garden. Um, so a huge advantage to the year. The Rangers fans, that faithful, when MSG is rocking, that's one of the best arenas to play in. So um, I expect the Rangers to have a good pushback on home ice, and I do expect them to get at least uh, game three here. But uh, again, great series, two very evenly matched squads. And as you mentioned, Carolina just getting the bounces. Uh, New York is playing pretty good hockey, just unable to get over the hump here to get a win in the first two games. But back in home ice, get last change. You'll have an energized fan base. I think they take game three. Yeah. 
Oddly enough, uh, both both rounds in the Eastern Conference for the first two games of their respective series were both two to nothing, and both the ones in the Western Conference were one to one until last night when Colorado did beat the St. Louis Blues by a score of five to two. A lot of injuries going on for the Blues in this one. We'll touch on that in just a second. But this one is the latest out of the um, the the four games that we have or four matchups that we have game four will be on Monday at 8 30 PM central time. Colorado does lead this series two to one. Um, I picked the abs to win in five. Um, I don't know that the road is going to be that easy anymore. They still have a chance to do that. Um, I still stick by that. I will. Um, but Colorado, um, yeah, getting a little bit of a balance after Nazem Kadri went for a loose puck, ran into Jordan Bennington, and Bennington is going to be out for three to four weeks at least with a knee ailment. So kind of a, a poor bounce oh for the Blues. Ville Husso comes back in, was not able to get the victory last night. But the big one on the other side for the Avs, uh, Sam Gerard getting hit by uh, Ivan Barbashev. Um, I got to be honest, Nick, I'm assuming you saw the play. Yeah. Um, broken sternum, and obviously it was blighted all over his face. I don't think that was a clean hit. Um, and I, and I was, and I was kind of surprised that um, we haven't heard anything about this. I figure maybe a fine or this now granted um, it wasn't, Oh my God, how do you miss that? You know, sort of thing. Um, I don't know that was, that it was a shoulder to shoulder as people want to, people want to place this honestly. And um, especially when they show the, the, the replay in full motion, when you have somebody who, um, I mean, the definition of boarding, um, you know, some people cited charging, but I think the definition of that is when you forcefully drive an opponent into the boards in a vulnerable position. And when you have somebody who goes somewhat headfirst into the dasher and ends up like that, I mean, you listen to the play get played back in real time. It's just, it's a sickening sound. It's a mm -hmm. sickening play now like i said i don't think he ran him from behind i don't think he jumped him i don't think he left his feet i don't think it was anything like that but i definitely didn't think it was a shoulder to shoulder it really kind of struck me more as kind of like cross check to the shoulder blade back area it was just it was a yeah. position that wasn't comfortable for gerard and i think if you're a forward there i know you want to finish your hit but you got to be a little bit cognizant of the way that you finish that play and now you got a player for the abs that's going to be out for the year so um yeah, I mean, your thoughts on that one, obviously. Um, so a couple things. Uh, this hit is mirrored. Uh, Ivan Barbashev loves to finish his checks behind the bench and for the or behind the bench. Excuse me, you can't really skate there uh, <laughs> behind the net. But um, you know, one thing that he he has done is he had this almost exact same play against Jan Ruda of Tampa, mm -hmm. uh, not that long ago. Uh, essentially, the same play was a puck dumped in. Barbashev again, a guy that likes to play a little bit of an edge, uh, goes in and and, and makes contact uh, behind the nets. And again, with with this hit specifically, um, you know, one thing about Sam Gerrard too is uh, I don't know. Like I'm I'm actually playing it back right now just to give myself a little bit and to see the angles. I don't, I don't know if it's a dirty hit, honestly. Yeah. Um, when I look at it, it's, it's very it's, close. Like I'm not, like I said, like I didn't, I didn't look at it and go like, wow, like they missed it. But I was kind of looking at it and I'm like, geez, you know what? The fact that someone gets injured and the way that he got injured, like you don't, you don't just break your sternum. You don't just, you know what I mean? Well, like, and here's, and here's where, when you look at it, right. So when you're playing it back and, and this is, I'm trying to figure out a way to explain this to folks who are just in our, um, 
our audio only version yeah. only uh version here um you know barbashev you know good on him he actually goes he gets it he gets the inside position then he actually turns with his right shoulder um and then puts him in the bench so he, the big thing that he does he actually avoids uh you know at least the hit from behind and as he's trying mm-hmm. to essentially keep him from doing so um and i think just the way that sam gerard goes into the boards right he, he's almost kind of his left shoulder as he's a right-handed shot and he's going from his left to his right, essentially, he's got his chest essentially sort of facing the boards. Uh, I don't know. It, I think it's it's kind of a goofy play, but, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you can get him for a charge on that. You know, maybe if anything, um, I'm trying to go back a little bit to see if he, you know, took a one too many strides. Um, but I don't think he even did that. So it, it's I think it's just kind of a goofy play that ends up being uh, just a heavy hit to. Uh, and mind you, Sam Gerard is, is not the biggest defenseman either i think we have to yeah. you know at that camping understate now again i'm not saying that means you you get injured but um I, I think it was just kind of one of those just weird plays i i didn't really see anything that alerted me to a penalty um again it hit look clean i think it was shoulder to shoulder um like you mentioned it was close because it was body position but i still feel like the hit for the most that's, part it that, was clean that's the thing though is like you know when you go shoulder to shoulder i think like if you, if you just one more stride and he's alongside and we're not talking about it at all i think it's just the fact that it's how do i explain it it's it's almost like it's a flyby versus a you know like i'm meaning to staple somebody to the boards and i think because of that that lack of just having an extra foot you know, uh, being alongside somebody, you get this awkward where you have somebody who's turned in kind of an awkward position. I think, I think that's where it's, um, I think that's the the only thing is like, it's not a flyby though. And because when you say, and I I hear what you mean. So let's break this down a little bit for the audio listeners. So, you know, he's Barbashev when, you know, you could, take the hit with your inside shoulder you know he's coming around the net from the left side to the right so he's turning to the right which means his left shoulder is close to the boards and for most hockey players that's where they make contact they were just essentially rubbing him out uh, for Barbashev because the outlet pass was in front of Gerard I think what he wanted to do is try to cut that off so instead he gets a little bit more on the inside shoulder ahead of him if she turns his body with his right and essentially as you mentioned tries to pin him and maybe the idea was to turn the state uh, to maybe try to block that outlet pass or maybe try to turn him back or, you know, make right. him think that this wasn't a great pass. But uh, again, the, the contact there, when you, when you're making that turn with your torso um, it's not like, like you said, it's not a, like a parallel hit ends up being where a lot of that driving force is now towards the boards. Right. Um, and again, I well, think it's just unfortunate that uh, yeah. the injury happened. I doesn't see anything malicious behind it. I think that's what the point. Right. I no, make. I agree. I, I think my point being is Barbashev was never above Gerard when that hit gets made. And when you're chasing somebody, the onus is on you, especially when you see numbers, because let's be fair, when he's chasing him down, he's seeing numbers and tries to get alongside him. The onus is on you to try to make sure that you try not to propel somebody face first into the dasher. Like I said, I like I'm not looking at this and saying Barbashev should get seven games and oh my God, you know, like I could see like a fine or something, I guess, like that. But maybe I, I don't you know, even see that honestly. You know, I just like it looked bad. It looked bad. I, th- I mean, I, I, I thought, okay. I thought it looked bad. Don't, don't, you can't, you can't just sit there and say, okay, like a board is a board. Like but it wasn't a board. Yeah, I disagree. It, um, it wasn't a board. Yeah, I disagree. I, 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 like I said, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think it warrants a suspension. Um, I, 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 as I look back on it, I go, you know what? That was a little bit worse than what I originally thought. That's all I'm saying. And, um, I don't know, especially when someone gets hurt like that. I mean, you stand up and you got blood all over your face. Like, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah the, the contact of his head hits the dasher. Yeah, um, the, the lip, and, and that's, I think what, that's and where the, you see the blood. And but. that's what I'm saying. When when you're getting chased down by somebody, you expect the contact, but I don't think he expected it to come from like diagonally behind, as opposed to somewhat alongside. And that's where I'm saying that extra foot makes a huge difference. If you, you go know? back and watch the film, I think you're underestimating how he wasn't really that far behind. In fact, he was pretty even with the shoulder when he makes the hit. Yeah, I just know that as. As an attacking forward, the onus is on you to make sure that you keep that in mind. Like I said, yeah, yeah, he's tr he's trying he's trying to prevent the outlet pass. Is there a reason for him to finish Sam Gerrard other than it's a playoff game and you're supposed to finish that hit? If this isn't the regular season, I don't know that that play gets finished in that fashion. I don't know. Like, I, well, four months ago he did, and he had a very similar outcome with Jan Ruda. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so. but nonetheless, I uh, yeah, the Colorado Avalanche um are leading this series. Um, and yeah, this series shifts to St. Louis. It was very weird. Um, actually, I think the bigger storyline for game number three. Uh, and unless I missed something, which I definitely could have, what was the deal with the crowd in St. Louis last night? Did you see that? You know, I didn't. Um, there, I mean, it was. I mean, it looked like an afternoon game in game forty-five of the regular season. I mean, a lot of empty seats last night a lot of them and i was trying to look to see you know like was there a traffic issue was there um was there like a, like a tornado warning was that like was there something like, it wasn't like fedex field where there was a sewage leak or something Nothing yeah like that. Um, I'm, I'm kidding they just the, only, the only thing that i saw was something about the nhl start times but even that it was kind of odd to me like i was watching the game and i was like something must have happened here like that it doesn't make sense and you looked and I was trying to look on Twitter. I was trying to look all the, you know, I didn't the see St. anything Louis that sports writers and yeah, nothing. It, it looked a little bit sparse to me. I don't know. I didn't actually look up the official attendance, but I thought it was kind of odd for a team that just won a Stanley cup three years ago to, you know, not have the support in the second round. We'll have to see on Monday, but um, see, I guess we'll see. Um, there is a series, the last one that has no shortage of fan support. <laughs> <laughs> to say oh, the least. Say. Yeah, the Battle of Alberta, Calgary, and Edmonton tied at one game apiece. This game three is tonight at 7 o'clock Central. This is the late game today. Three games today, which is also odd to me. Um, but nonetheless, um, game one, that 9-6 to six victory for Calgary, had the most goals since 1993 in the playoffs with 15. Uh, the record is 18 in a playoff game between two clubs. So Wouldn't surprise me with the same two either. Yeah, you know, it's intriguing to me um especially calgary you know how much a different opponent that is not def defense orientated really let the flames kind of run rampant a little bit here now edmonton found a way in the second game and you know was able to kind of counter fire with fire here this is going to be uh no punches held back offense versus offense um made the best goaltender win and the best goaltender is questionable at best on both sides right now i mean this is just two heavyweights um not playing mm -hmm. defense at all and just punch for punch it's funny how you say both these guys could be questionable yet one of them was your pick for the Vesna, but i digress so um <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, first of all nick you're not part of the voting committee because Neither you need to realize so that that this is part of a regular season voting thank you I very understand much that. I and, know. I and number two jacob markson is still good so no i know yeah. um it doesn't help that this is one of the best rivalries in hockey too, the battle of Alberta that goes way, way back again. You said the, uh, the record was 18 and what was that? What was that year? The mid eighties for, for what? Sorry. For the 18. 
the record for playoff goals. Oh, I didn't look it up actually. Okay. Well, well, yeah. It wouldn't shock me if maybe the eighties Oilers wasn't part of that with Gretzky, Yari Curry, uh, just to name a couple, right? It wouldn't surprise me if the Oilers are part of that. But with that being said, um, how about this? Uh, yeah, game one, uh, Calgary actually blew a three-goal lead, um, you know, to allow Edmonton back in it, and then Calgary, very shortly afterwards, almost like oh, okay, we we played with them a little bit too much. Now let's actually finish the job, and they did uh, nine six, I think it was yeah nine six. Uh, Calgary, just stupid high-scoring playoff game. Yeah. And then game number two, a um, little bit more defense. And uh, speaking of defense, how about the big season acquisition, uh, big offseason acquisition? Was it a couple of seasons ago, Duncan Keith, or was that this year? Uh, last was this year. year. Was it last year? Okay. Yeah. Um, it all f- starts flowing together for me. So um, really made a mark for Edmonton uh, last uh, in game number two, which is what the Edmonton Oilers were kind of why they brought him in is they wanted the, uh, that Stanley cup experience to, to be able to win in the playoffs. And he was an impactful player. Um, I think if you're Edmonton, uh, again, it's not easy. You have um, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen as your, as your two goaltenders yeah. um, at play. But um, if you can try to keep the, you know, like more of a low scoring game, um, I think Edmonton has the advantage with that. And again, Connor McDavid, um, or should we say McJesus, whatever his last name is, yeah. um, with Leon Dreisaitl, holy cow. Um, if, if those two can get hot, uh, we see that they're just as capable of keeping up with Calgary as anybody else. So this game, uh, technically fifth, um, really tied for fourth in terms uh, two games with 16. Uh, Los Angeles 12 uh, and Calgary 4. That was in 1990. Um, Edmonton 13, Los Angeles 3 in 1987. Mm. Yep. Um, in 1989, Pittsburgh 10, Philadelphia 7. That had oh, 17 gosh. goals. And uh, the record holder is actually April 7th, 1982. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings 10, the Edmonton Oilers 8. So um, so was that... Was that after or just before? That must have been just after the Gretzky trade, right? No, that's way before. That's way before. 1982. Oh, that's way before then. Okay. Yeah, yeah way so, before. Um, well, I got so, half of it, right? So <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, kind of, an, kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, this is just going to be pound for pound. And um, after game one, I was like, you know what? I think that Calgary is the better team. One of the things that surprised me in game two was how many shorthanded breakaways and odd man rushes that Calgary gave up um, yes. on mm-hmm. on the power play. And the PK for Edmonton looked really good. Special teams could be a big factor here, uh, especially in a series that's going to only get grittier and more contested. So don't tell that to the Minnesota Wild special teams. Uh, 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 anyway, why, why don't we talk about the Minnesota Wild? We're going to do that in our extra ice session, Nick. We're going to dive into all things related to what the Minnesota Wild are going to do in the offseason. Extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, and we're talking all things Minnesota Wild here in the extra ice session, specifically the offseason plans for this team. Um, question marks. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, for this group, not as, as we, many as you think, though. You know, you're right. Actually, like 110. Yeah, seriously, you're right. Um, so let's start uh, with the fact that the Wild um, are getting ready uh, for the NHL draft. The Wild do have a draft pick um, in every round except for the seventh this upcoming, and actually um, move from the 59th pick overall in round number two to the 47th pick with a couple of trades. So the 59th pick was actually given away in the Mark Andre Fleury trade, yep. and then um, Vancouver. Um, was actually the pick that came back the other direction, the trade that came back. And that one was actually during uh, the Arizona Coyotes uh, trade that saw Roussel Beagle and Louis Erickson move over and 
Minnesota was part of that deal and kind of a three-way swing there. So um, on the forward side, you are 110% correct. If you believe that um, Connor Dewar and Brandon Duhame are both NHL caliber players at this particular point, actually the Minnesota wild roster on the forward side, notwithstanding. So without RFAs and without UFAs actually has 11 forwards right now. Mm-hmm. Um, on on the front end, the the big one missing for the RFA on the forward side, obviously, is Kevin Fiala. The two UFAs, Nick Delorier and Nick Bukestad. Um, and then um, Connor Dewar is actually an RFA as well too. So so ten forwards, I guess I should say. Um, on the back end, uh, you have uh, seven defensemen that are under contract, and eighth in Jacob Middleton that is an RFA, and the only UFA that probably won't return is Jordy Ben. And then on the goaltending mm-hmm. side, Cam Talbot is signed for one more season. Marc-Andre Fleury is currently a UFA this year. So, um, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, I'm trying to see here. Uh, yeah, two two RFAs and, mm-hmm. yeah, four UFAs uh, plus, yeah, four UFAs, two RFAs on this team. So, actually, not a whole lot of things to take care of. So, people say, well, hey, Kevin Fiala, even if he costs $7.5, $8 million, why don't you just get rid of Matt Dumba and your problems are solved? No. No. Because of Matt Boldy and all the other RFAs who are going to need long-term extensions after this season when the Wild are still in cap hell. So, um, Nick, out of all the players uh, that we have kind of mentioned, um, do you want to start with the RFAs? Do you want to start? Okay, let's start with the UFAs, actually. Uh, yep. Fleury, Delorier, Bukestad, and Jordy Ben. Uh, any of those guys you see returning? Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah. Anybody um, else? It's, it seems that uh, Fleury um, is, uh, you know, I know within their time in Pittsburgh, Garen has, you know, there's a relationship there. I do think, you know, you could have one of the best goaltending tandems in, in hockey if you were able to get him at the right price. Um, yeah. So I think that Minnesota will make a good push to sign him. It sounds like there's a mutual interest there as well. So I do see Mark Rondi Fleury having a good chance. Uh, Delorier. Um, yeah. Have you be, know, have to be league minimum. I think uh, I could see him coming back just because uh, he's, I think he's got, uh, a little bit of that that sandpaper to his game that I think is missing a little bit from the fourth line. Um, he may not be a regular per se when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, maybe a fourth line, but I think he'd be a good depth piece. Uh, Nick Bukestad was essentially shelved for the most of the back half of the season, and I don't think he never made a playoff appearance. So um, if that's pretty telling, I don't think he returns. I don't think um, – who am I missing? Uh, Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben. Uh, nope, he's gone. Yeah, so. there's just not room. The 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 thing with Nick Delorier, um, he finished the season with eight goals, five assists. Um, and when he was with the Wild, uh, 25 games for regular season and playoffs, he had three goals, zero assists, and was dash five. Um, in that, mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't know that the case is looking all that great. All great, um, no. But yeah. I also don't think that the fourth line was constructed. Um, the way that it needed to be also for a playoff fourth line either. Hey, we mentioned it before. Where's Cody McCormick when you need him? Exactly. Um, okay, let's talk about the RFAs, the two bodies that I think Minnesota would really like to have back. Um, Middleton. Yeah, Middleton would be uh, very good. The thing is, um, is Jacob Middleton affordable for the Minnesota Wild? The question is this. Do you try to – the challenge here um, with the defensive core, you have seven defensemen as it is. Technically mm-hmm. eight if you want to throw Middleton into the mix because he's still an RFA. He's still 
his rights are held by the Minnesota Wild. So Spurgeon, Goligoski, Brodine, Dumba, Kulikov, Merrill, and then Kalen Addison. Mm-hmm. Um, so you add Middleton to that mix. That's eight defensemen. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to go. Um, yep. That's quite obvious. Um, I'd love to see it be Kulikov because he was horrible down the stretch. Um, but beyond that, uh, does it make sense for the Wild to take care of the Flurry Middleton situation and then try to figure out how to meander Kevin Fiala? Or does it is it kind of a fluid ongoing situation? Because really, Kevin Fiala influences Middleton and Flurry, and Flurry and Middleton influences Kevin Fiala in a lot of respects. And really, it's going to revolve not so much around the goals any piece, but it's going to revolve around the defensive core. That's going to be the be all break all for this team to decide where their offseason plans bring them into the future. Because do you believe Marco Rossi makes the jump next year? I think on the forward mm-hmm. side, the Wild are not as hampered as. I mean, they're not hampered on the back end either, but they've got some decisions to make because somebody or two people are going to be in the press box here. Do you want my hot take? No. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think the decision's done. I think Kevin Fiala is being traded. I do. I think the decision's already done. Um, so, 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 so here's so, what you have. Yeah, so the better question is, what do you do with a defenseman? Here's the better question. Um, do you package a defenseman? with Kevin Fiala, such as a Dmitry Kulikov or somebody else, um, to say either a team like New Jersey, who has openly stated there are willing to part with a number two overall pick, yeah. um, or do you tr- or do you package it to Montreal? And all of a sudden, you're getting Shea Weber and maybe a, a depth center or somebody else. And you can put Shea Weber on the LTIR and all of a sudden your 12 and a half or $12.8 million salary cap is now down to about five. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conversation. I think a lot of people would like to take your theory and like to find a way to keep Kevin Fiala with that exact thing. I understand that. I don't think he's No, no, I know. I'm explaining that you can't. You can't do that. You have to give up something in order to take on Shea Weber's contract now. No, because it goes on LTIR. Right, but you have to give Montreal something to have incentive to do I that. Know. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's Fiala. I think that's too much of an overpay. I don't. I, I think it's way too much of an overpay. Why? Think about, Yeah, I mean. I, know I don't. I mean, he's. Because here's, here's. Here's here's the thing. It's 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 a part one of a two step process. You yeah. have to look at it. You're you can't. No, I, I I get it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. Yeah. This is for the fans, goofball. This is for <laughs> you. Okay. We talk not to each other. We talk to the people who listen. Okay. Nah. Um. You know, at, at the end of it, no. What what that? If let's just say they do what I said. They they package Fiala. Let's say let's just throw Kulikov in there. Why not? Right. Um. To Montreal for Shea Weber and then maybe a player or two. Right. Um. At the end of it, that seven and a half million that you can put an LTIR um, allows you to go out and maybe with free agency allows you to maybe have those conversations with Jake Middleton um, and also with Mark Andre Fleury. It gives you a little bit more of a salary uh, because again, it, people are like, "We'll give Kevin Fiala eight million bucks." Here's what they're missing: you need space for call ups. And for, you know, everything else that happens, I mean, your salary cap is all affected by all these things. And who's to mention, I mean, Minnesota was, besides Matt Dumba, I mean, and here's the other thing. When was the last time that Minis- that we saw a Minnesota Wild squad essentially be able to absorb some key injuries, such as Matt Dumba, 
um, and really feel like their game didn't really dip that much. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's the other part of it is to the conversation is, and this is something I thought before I listened to, to Bill Guerin's press, you know, press conference, I really thought that, you know, one thing that we saw with uh, Matt Dumba out of lineup is that that back end set looked pretty damn good. And so does that make the case? Okay. Well, if you can move without him and he's got one year left at six, does that make him a tradable asset? It kind of does. The problem is Matt Dumba has never really got back to form since, well, he had that chest injury back a few years ago. He doesn't seem to have the offensive threat that we used to see. And as you saw, a little suspect on the defensive end in the series against St. Louis. So I don't know. Um, again, it sounds like, at least from what I can see, that his mind is made up. But again, GMs sometimes play the press box game as well, right? They know how yeah. to play the, the media lines. Are they trying to get leverage? Maybe with Kevin Fiala's agent, um, you know, maybe to strike something. And that's the other thing you could do is you could trade your first, you know, like a, a first round pick and a, maybe a prospect or two. Um, Wild fans will kill me, but let's just throw Kalen Addison in there to get Shea Weber's contract. And then you maybe could sign Kevin Fiala and then actually have some cap space left over. You bring up Marco Rossi um, because I think he does make the jump, uh, not only because I think he's earned it, but I also think that his salary is uh, very, um, shall we say, uh, ad, you know, admirable for the wild situation. So there's a couple of different things you can go about this. Um, but at least from what I gathered from what Bill Guerin's words were, he was very sure about a couple of people. But then when he asked about Kevin Fiala, it was very much, let's see what happens. Very dismissive. Yeah. So hard to say for sure, but I think if I had to throw my card to cards, Fiala's on his way out. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with you in, in that sense. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see him on his way. The the proposal that you mentioned for people who are wondering, by the way, it turns about seven and a half million dollars in projected cap space for the Minnesota Wild to do all this into about fifteen million dollars. Um yes. is what it does. So um yeah, it's just it, it's an it's, a, it's an interesting dance, and I don't know. The, the thing is, does Bill Guerin go with the safe route, uh, re-sign Middleton, get a good deal from Marc-Andre Fleury, and then maybe try to te- try to test the waters with trying to trying to pick somebody up, um, you know, via trade or that sort of thing? Or does he make some sort of big splash like you mentioned? Or does he have something, you know, up his sleeve that he finds a way to retain Kevin Fiala? I think, um, and I don't know that I speak for everybody, but I think that, in a vacuum, if you were able to re-sign Kevin Fiala, you would like to keep him because mm-hmm. he was just that good. Playoff performance notwithstanding, he was just that good in the regular season that I think he definitely is warranted of a contract beyond this. Um, but if you're not going to do that, you're definitely going to try to find a way to utilize that asset as best as you can. Now, the thing uh, we were talking about, New Jersey, by the way, uh, willing to part with that second overall pick, um, New Jersey, this is their fourth top three or top five pick in the last five years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Tells me two things, um, cause New Jersey was not that good this year. Injuries or otherwise. Um, Disappointingly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people thought myself included, they would make a bit of a jump this year and they didn't. So here's what it says. Shane Wright is the projected first overall pick. Then you throw Logan yep. Cooley and, um, I forget his name. It's, it's Slofovsky or however you say his name. The number um, one European rated player. Yeah. 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 If you're if you're that willing to part with a second overall pick, is that a reflection of the New Jersey Devils franchise, or is that a reflection of this year's draft class? And I say that because a lot of people mm-hmm. have talked about a lot of people have talked about, oh, well, you know, you you trade Kevin Fiala for the second overall pick, your return is going to be huge. Man, how many times have we seen second 
overall picks not mm-hmm. turn out, especially in a very weak draft how class. About, how about I, number one overall picks? Uh, exactly. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> Shane, Shane Wright's not a, not a given thing. Looks at uh, look at Alexi Lafreniere, who um, I know Minnesota Wild fans were very bummed to get knocked out of that when they had that you know pseudo draft, whatever you want to call it, with the lottery balls the too. Draft, yeah. yeah. Um, I got to be honest, like I. How do I say it? I think Kevin Fiala is worth more than a second overall pick, dare I say, because he's a known commodity. Correct. You're not wrong on that. You know? And one of the thing, you know, one thing that people think, I think incorrectly, is you know, they put the second overall pick like, you know, he is the next Wayne Gretzky. And that's a yeah. known thing. The issue is it's not, right? Kevin yeah. Fiala has proved himself at the NHL level. These kids have not. Um, and you know, we see we've seen um, second overall picks, third overall picks, however you want to call it, um, make it to the league be successful, but also maybe they become injury prone. Um, like a Carey Price, I mean, he may never suit up for hockey again. Um, you know, just because of some other things he's dealing with off the ice as well as a result of some of the injuries. Um, so it's not known at all. Now, it's an indictment squarely on New Jersey because I think when New Jersey is lacking a little bit is some of that veteran leadership right those 25 to 30 year olds that um are in their prime maybe not necessarily you know like a jake Gensel, like a guy who can really but just some of those core players like a brian rust almost honestly like for pittsburgh who can yeah. contribute um you know you, who you can get at a good salary but it's a, it's a guy that can kind of you know be in that middle six second third line that can contribute and really do the job you're needing um and also new jersey's back end oh my goodness gracious they need goaltending too so um so, that's the that's the other part of it too. Is does New Jersey say give me Cam Talbot? You know, here's what I was going to ask. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Quite obviously, um, I don't. Well, I don't either. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Uh, let, let's be theoretical here. Sure. Uh, let's say you're 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 going to find a way to keep Kevin Fiala. That's the plan. And your your goal is uh, Kevin Fiala is centered by Marco Rossi and flanked by Matt Boldy. That would be cool. Dirty. Um, yeah, that means you got to move a defenseman. You have to, at probably two of them, at, I would say. Um, one, what defenseman is on their way out anyway on this team? Because they can't keep eight. Right. And number two, is a Matt Dumba trade feasible? And is Matt Dumba the way to go? Is Matt Dumba the key to keeping Kevin Fiala if you want to swing it? Yeah, actually, yes. Um Again, the problem is his his trade value is not that great right now. Um, there's right. questions about his long term health. There's questions about him defensively. Again, when he, when he when he really blossomed a couple of years ago, when he was actually you know also putting up offense and he was skating well. Um, and then again after the fights, uh, and it wasn't a chest injury if I remember correctly, right? It was a it was like a yeah. tro- like a pack injury. injury. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's just never been the same. No, he definitely hasn't, and I was definitely sold on it this playoffs. I know he was hurt. He was hurt badly. Yes. Um, but um, beyond that, he just th- – one of the things that – first of all, Matt Dumba, underlyingly statistic-wise, not so much this year but in years prior, has actually been better defensively than people get him credit for. But the, yes. one, but the one thing that kept Matt Dumba attractive uh, for the Minnesota Wild to kind of survive all of these uh, different things that have potentially pushed him out is the fact that his offensive production did not grow on trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're seeing that shift away $6 million cap hit. And, you know, the thought is this though, 
are you willing to essentially shed cap? You talked about his trade return. Are you essentially willing to send him to a place like Arizona or send him to a place cool. where, where, where you're, well, somebody who can take on that cap head and is willing to do it. In theory, and, Arizona can't take on a whole lot. But. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but talking, but, but talking about shedding that cap and your reward is not your return for Matt Dumba, but the fact that you get to keep Kevin Fiala, um, you know, and yeah. kind of framing it that way. You know what I mean? Sure. And again, I think that has a lot to do with why it's important to have your conversations with Flurry first and Jacob Middleton, because it tells you what you need from your numbers wise. Right. Yeah. Um, be, and I think maybe, and this is the part why I'm so confident that Fiala is on his way out. I think Bill Guerin knows what those numbers are, knows that it's not feasible um, to be able to bring him back and, and is looking in that direction. Now, again, he could be trolling the hell out of every wild fan. And I actually would laugh my ass off if he was actually doing that. Um, but if you're going to keep Fiala, here's the problem. It's going to take more than Matt Dumba too. It you just know, is. You know, and here's the thing from Bill Guerin's perspective, the other piece that he might be doing, like you mentioned, a little bit of gamesmanship, so to speak, you know, I, uh, to kind of to kind of say, you know, Kevin Fiala is in a unique position where he's a restricted free agent and mm-hmm. Bill Guerin's tactics might be in the sense to try to see if he can get somebody who's willing to somewhat uh, overpay for a guy like Kevin Fiala and maybe give up more than what they normally would, knowing that Minnesota is in this position, they're looking to move him. And normally that's a spot where you would say Minnesota is at a disadvantage, but it might put them in an advantageous spot, knowing that this contract has to be moved. Who's going to be the highest bidder? Who's going to pay the most? You know what I mean? Exactly. And here's the other thing is, you know, for, for folks who, who look at Kevin Fiala and his contract, right? Um, here's the here's the other thing that we, we probably... It's like we know what we don't touch on it enough, Noah, is that $12.5 million, um, I think, is the cap recapture penalty. Uh, 12.7, excuse me. Then it goes up to 14 almost $15 million. And if you're yeah. going to invest in Kevin Fiala, I don't think you're doing it for a year. And let's be honest, I don't think Kevin wants a one-year deal either. Yeah, I think he's going to want and- at least... Four or five. And, and I've seen a couple people say, well, as you qualify him, you don't want to qualify it because if you go to arbitration and the You're arbitrator set, says, you know what, seven and a half million is what he's owed. You're screwed. You, you got to pay that. Like, right. Um, they they lost a lot of leverage this season yep. because of the performance that he had. So, and again, with a qualifying offer, there's a minimum now based on his previous salary that you have to, there's a guaranteed increase for Fiala. And again, I think that's the other part that Bill Guerin was looking at is, you know, do we look at the arbitration? Or if we do, there's not a whole lot of pull that we have here. Yeah. We really don't. And um, and like you said, hindsight really sucks. I mean, I think you go back, I think, what was he asking? I think it was like six and a half million over like three years or something or five years. And two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you and you look at it, you know, it's like that. That sounds like a steal at that price now compared to mm-hmm. what his production was. But he was not at that level yet. Um. And you I, almost, and you almost know a, you you kind of almost think that when you go back to that original arbitration, you almost kind of feel like they knew going into that arbitration that if Fiala had a season like he did this last year, that they this was an, shit, almost you know? almost an eventuality, right? So where it was almost the you know rolling up the, the proverbial craps table, rolling dice, and you know not getting crap, and you kind of I, I think. The more I think about it, the more I do feel like this was this is more than just 
a missed or you know could say a, a first round exit in the making. This goes way back to last year's contract negotiations with Kevin Fiala. And I do think that yeah. Bill Guerin had the foresight to understand that it, it's going to go one or two ways. Now, on the flip side of it, and this was the risk they take, right? And I think Michael Russo even said it. You know, it's with last year's contract had it been higher, they still they almost feel like. He, they could have actually needed to trade him last year. He wouldn't have even been here this year. So the way that Michael Russo has kind of dove into it, and mind you, for those who don't follow Russo, um, shame on you. Um, but, you know, it's almost like it, effectively they kind of felt like with if it would have been closer to that 6-7, that effectively, well, now what? Because we can't now afford anything else. Well, why didn't we listen to all the the amazing hockey pundits on Twitter who said that they should have traded Kirill Kaprizov before the season? Nick, I mean, come on. I'm we, not even. Yeah, we gotta we, we gotta offload that. Faith. Yeah, right. We gotta offload that contract, man. You know, here's the thing though. Um, and I think that there is kind of this gloom and doom mentality. And if it's me, I'm finding a way to keep Kevin Fiala at all costs. Um, I shouldn't say all mm-hmm. costs, but but I am because he is that much of a game breaker. He showed it last year, like. 82 or 85 points uh in total this season um over whatever it was like like pretty much a point per game player essentially um so that's playoffs included so um i i think if you can do it in a way that is somewhat sensible you find a way to keep him he's just that good again same discussion we had with matt dumb a couple years ago offense doesn't grow on trees regardless of that the the gloom and doom attitude actually should go away from Minnesota. I mean, there's a way you can still mess everything up, but Minnesota is actually in a really good spot here. Dare I say they're in a really good spot because they either retain a guy like Kevin Fiala, who's a very good hockey player and who will definitely contribute on this team for a long time to come, or they're going to get something in return that is going to make this team better and give them opportunities either in the immediate future or down the road as they continue to work their way through cap hell. They invest in the young guys like Aprizov, your Boldies, your Marco Rossi's, and you continue to get to that point. So um, I think Minnesota's in a, in a decent position, honestly. Um, well, and, and let's build on that a little bit, right? Um, so let's just say they, they do the proverbial trade with New Jersey, right? Um, and they get the second overall pick, and they do pick a – center by the name of Logan Cooley. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty damn good, at least right now. And he's going to be at the yeah. University of Minnesota, um, at least for the time being. Uh, you know, God knows how long he lasts there. Again, we could yeah. crap on the Gophers and, you know, all we want. But oh, um, I'm, I'm sure Huskies would love that, where the Minnesota right. Wild's future is in Bob Motzko's hands. They would right. love that. They would love that. Um, <laughs> but, Derek, did, we, did I just say we drafted – one of the best centers in the draft at number two, where we need help down the middle and for the future. Now the, Minnesota, you, the Minnesota wild fan of me says exactly what Nick, what happens if we draft Logan Cooley number two overall and Logan Cooley is a bust. It, it, well, that's the risk you take. Hmm. That's the thing is, you know, that's, that's the thing with some of these ticks that are on social media is, with anybody, including number one, number one overback, Edmonton and Neil Yakupov. Anyways, so um, yeah. you, you you just don't know, right? It's always a roll of the dice. It doesn't matter who has their draft pickings. I, I know people like to give Mel Kiper crap because he deserves almost every single one of it, but but at the end of it, it's a crapshoot. No matter whose list you're looking at, whose analysis. Um, again, Logan Cooley could be a bust because let's just say he gets hit hard in the corner in college. Um, 
has a career ending knee injury. Uh, I mean, let's look at this Teddy Bridgewater for the Minnesota Vikings, right? A non-contact injury to his knee. And uh, effectively, now, was he going to be like, you know, a, a Brett Favre quarterback? No, but he was going to be serviceable and uh, essentially kind of wrecked, you know, his full potential that it could have been as an athlete. So there's things outside of your control with all these draft picks that could take an asset like that and make it less valuable. So it doesn't, no matter which way you slice it, it's a roll of the dice. It doesn't matter if it's one or all or 205th. In fact, let's plead the opposite. Was it Caprice of 157th overall? Uh, let's yeah. even go further than that. Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg, both sixth and seventh round picks, and ended up being the opposite. So, I mean, Dare I, do I need to say any more? Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, your theory, uh, last little tidbit here, I was just pulling out cat friendly to see players that who are going to be unrestricted or restricted free agents. Uh, it's pretty much UFAs is this list uh, coming up this summer. Um, getting ready. So talking about your theory about the Shea Weber piece, trying to free up some cap space here. Uh, the big name on the list, uh, the two big ones, actually Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk are both going to be uh, free agents, uh, UFAs and RFAs respectively. So Calgary has some work to do on that end. Yes, um, number three on this list is a centerman, a 31 years of age by the name of Nazem Kadri. Um, I sorted by points this year, uh, 87 cool. points for him. Um, Kevin Fiala is fourth on this list at 85. Philip Forsberg is a point behind him. Jason Robertson, Jesper Bratt had 73 points this year. Yeah. On a New Jersey That's Devils nuts. team that was very bad. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, unfortunately, he's only 23. But um, looking, I mean, Giroux, Pierre-Luc Dubois. I got to be honest, though, Nick. I mean, there's not a lot of names that stick out to me that scream game breaker within the age oh, range really? that you're looking for. That's the only thing is, do you believe that, like I said, do you believe that it's better to try to swing the Shea Weber piece to try to keep Kevin Fiala versus doing it to try to free up cap space to find somebody for agency? Because here's the thing. Let's say the wild do all these things as well too. And they say, you know what? Nazem Kadri's our guy. We want him. We want him for three years. He's our guy. And then he gets scooped up by New Jersey the next day. You know what I mean? Like right. that's exactly. also that's also a piece too that, that they have to consider. So I'm not sure what Bill Guerin has up his sleeve. I'm excited in some senses because he's done different things than what we've seen, but I do not envy him. <laughs> no, and and for those who are wondering, the Shea Weber contract goes until 2025, 2026. Yeah, so what say. that means is you get actually 7.8 million dollars in cap relief on LTIR. If you're able to scoop up that contract again, the question is going to be, what does it cost you? Yeah. Till they and, change the CBA. <laughs> right. Um, and so at the end of the day, I don't know. Um, I, I think, and, and honestly, I don't see them changing that CBA anytime soon. Yeah. Wow. I don't because the board of the board of governors have to be on board with it. They're really the only people that don't use it is Arizona. Let's be fair because whatever it actually, I take that back. Arizona's actually used that quite a bit because they've taken on contracts like, uh, Oh geez, the guy from Toronto, uh, yeah. Clark MacArthur and a few others just to be able to say they spent to the cap floor on, yeah. um, but their actual salary expenditures was like 20 to $30 million less than that. So it's well, well, the nice thing is to, and we're the thing with the current CBA in Minnesota has kind of been grandfathered into this, but, Something like this should not happen again. Like your cap recapture penalty should not hamper you in a way that the Minnesota Wild are. And 20... I don't believe, yeah, I don't believe they are anymore. Right? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Where like they're $29 million or whatever it is. And dead cap yeah. <laughs> like that, like that's absurd. Like think about it that. Is. You, you have an, you have an $82 million cap and, and almost 30 million of that is taken up by players who are playing somewhere else or not playing. Like that's absurd. Like it that's is. yeah. So, um, yeah, hope, I mean, hopefully the Minnesota ball find their way through it. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think what's clear to say from this discussion, none of us, you, me, anybody else are really sure what's going to happen. It's kind of a, a murky water and it all surround revolves around one player. That's Kevin Fiala, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kudos to him. He had a heck of a season. He's definitely, wherever he plays, he definitely has earned his next contract. Um, no question. And say what you want about Paul Fenton, but that Granlin trade when Granlin had an okay year this year too, but boy, does that trade look unbelievable. It looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that move. So um, he did turn into the game breaker that we had expected this season. Hopefully that can translate into playoff success. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a Steve Dangle trade tree at some point with that trade. Yeah. Um, Cause I Seriously. do think, because again, whether Fiala does stay with us or whether he gets traded, that trade tree could be very bountiful for Minnesota, no matter what happens. Um, yeah. That's like you said, that's, if there's one caveat, if Fiala does get traded, he's going to demand a, a pretty good haul back. And that could, uh, reap even more rewards uh, in the future, or maybe even immediately. We'll have to see. Speaking of reaping rewards, uh, the Huskies Warming House podcast will be back for episode number 113. That one will come out on Tuesday, May 31st, that morning. So we'll be recording on that Monday night on the 30th. So we look forward to seeing you back. And then I think we're actually, we're probably going to record that weekend and should have a normal Sunday release the following week. We'll have to see. I um, That's kind of the tentative outline as of now. We'll definitely take a look. But um, yeah, what do you got? Anything? I was just going to say things are incredibly dynamic right now for, yes. for my schedule. So we'll obviously do the best we can to keep everybody updated on the schedule. Just know that things might bounce around here and there a little bit, just compared to uh, both my schedule as Noah's schedule. And I think for me and for what I just need to understand is with these uh, job seeking processes now continuing to evolve and move forward is that, you know, I'm going to be getting, request to travel in very short notice so uh just understand uh that we're trying to keep it as consistent as we can but just understand there's things that are beyond our control and we'll do the best we can to keep everybody as a heads up um with that so just uh, stay stay tuned to our social media uh, at warming house then we'll keep everybody updated to the schedule of or if any schedule changes do occur um, we'll announce them on there as well yeah, well, like Nick said, a lot of travel questions, and we're going to head on down the road. That will do it for episode number 112 for Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you back in the den soon. And your one timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.